Well, good morning. As Aaron said, my name is Nate, and I'm one of the staff pastors here at Restoration Road Church. Just want to welcome you this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Esther chapter 8. We are nearing the end of our series in Esther. Uh, We have a large portion of text to get through this morning, all of chapter 8 and half of chapter 9. So I will keep this to, uh, you know, 90 minutes. Just kidding. Uh, Yes, it's good to be here this morning. It's good to sing God's praises together. It is good to pray for the world around us. Uh, It's good to gather. If you've been in this series, you have seen Esther is a wonderful story, an account of God's salvation for his people. If you were here last week, uh, you saw Pastor Mike preach through Esther chapter 7 and the incredible reversal seen therein. The evil schemes of Haman, the enemy of God's people, in an instant were turned upon his own head and ended in his downfall and complete destruction. The gallows Haman had built, uh, which he intended for Mordecai, the king used, and in his wrath, used to hang Haman. Haman's evil desire to destroy God's people, to oppose God's way, led to his ultimate destruction. This is not the only time in Scripture, the only time Scripture records God's divine salvation for his people. As Mike was preaching last week, I, I, I kept thinking of the, the account of Joseph and his circumstances and even his words as he told his brothers, as, you, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. That's in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. You think of the Exodus, God's divine deliverance for his people, the conquest of the nation of Canaan. Again and again and again, we see throughout the Old Testament, God delivering his people. The Old Testament is full of accounts, after account after account of God working salvation for his people and judgment against those who reject and oppose him. Haman meant evil against God's people. That was his intent But God turned it for good to bring about a temporal salvation for his people in exile. And this reversal that that Pastor Mike preached about last week continues through chapters 8 and 9, the large portion of text that we will look at today. The king gives Esther Haman's house, Mordecai Haman's position, and all that came with it. And the results of the events in chapter 7 and the consequences of Haman's evil plot unfold in chapters 8 and 9. But the emphasis that we will see in, these, in this chapter and a half today is just how Esther's compassion led to a proclamation which produced celebration and action. You'll hear me say this multiple times because there's a thread through our narrative today where compassion leads to proclamation which produces celebration and action. And so let's go ahead and get into the word. Because of the amount of our text, I typically like to read straight through our text, but I'm going to go ahead and break it up today, and we'll take it just little chunks at a time. And so uh, we'll begin in Esther chapter 8, verses 1 through 17. Read with me if you have your Bibles. If not, it will be on the screen. Esther chapter 8, verse 1 says, On that day, King Ahasuerus gave to Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told what he was 
uh, was told what he was to her. And the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. Then Esther spoke again to the king. She fell at his feet and wept and pleaded for him to avert the evil plan of Haman the Agagite and the plot that he had devised against the Jews. When the king held out the golden scepter to Esther, Esther rose and stood before the king. And she said, if it please the king, and if I have found favor in his sight, and if the thing seems right before the king, and I am pleasing in his eyes, let an order be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, which he wrote to destroy the Jews who are in all the provinces of the king. For how can I bear to see the calamity that is coming to my people? Or how can I bear to see the destruction of my kindred? Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they have hanged him on the gallows because he intended to lay hands on the Jews. But you, you may write as you please with regard to the Jews in the name of the king and seal it with the king's ring for an edict written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's ring cannot be revoked. We're actually going to pause there. One through eight. And so we see here in the first eight verses of chapter eight the compassion that Esther has. Though the enemy of God's people had been defeated, the effects of his work still remained. What was to be done regarding the king's earlier edict? Though it was manipulated by Haman, nonetheless, a royal edict could not be undone. The impact remained. And though Esther and Mordecai were safe, God's people were still in grave danger. The edict allowed the enemies of God's people to organize and destroy all Jews. In fact, it rewarded them for doing so. They were allowed to take all of their possessions of the Jews that they destroyed. And as it stood, it would be unlawful for the Jews to defend themselves. This was a very bad situation. And though Haman had been removed, the edict remained. And time was running out. And here in these first eight verses, we see Esther chose compassion. She chose compassion over her own self-interest. Esther comes before the king, says, How can I bear to see the calamity that is, that is coming to my people? That is verse 6. Notice Ahasuerus' response. Now, Ahasuerus has been fairly consistent throughout this story. He is interested in his own gain, and that's all that matters to him. Notice his response. He basically says, you won. You got the house. Mordecai is in the position of power and honor, not Haman. What more could you want? This is his response. He is seeing things through a self-interest lens. And he says, listen, Esther, you got what you want. Why are you even here? But Esther chose compassion over her own self-interest. Esther also chose compassion over apathy or indifference. Esther could have remained silent. She could have chosen to respond with indifference toward the plight of others. After all, she was safe in the palace. She had queen, queenly responsibilities to attend to. It's not like she didn't have anything to do at that time. She was safe. Mordecai was safe. No one would, would make an attempt on his life now that he was the king's new right-hand man. 
But the others, her people, that was not the same story for them. Esther was compelled by compassion to do all that she could within her power to work for the salvation of others. She could not defeat the enemy, but she could petition to intervene. The edict could not be revoked, but she had access to the king. And one thing that, we, that I also want to note that we see in Esther's act of compassion toward her people is that compassion can be risky. Esther had to go before the king a second time without being called. It was risky. And so she, she went before the king without being summoned, but this time was very different than the first time. She came with a demonstrative display, falling at his feet, weeping, pleading. This was no show. She was truly moved by compassion in her heart for the impending doom of her people. And being moved by compassion, she acted. And so Esther's compassion led to a proclamation. And we see that in verses 9 through 14. Read with me. In verse 9, it says, The king's scribes were summoned at that time. In the third month, which is the month of Sivan, on the 23rd day, and an edict was written according to all that Mordecai commanded concerning the Jews, to the satraps and the governors and the officials of the provinces from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces, to each province in its own script and to each people in its own language, and also to the Jews in their script and their language." And he wrote in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed it with the king's signet ring. Then he sent the letters by mounted couriers riding on swift horses that were used in the king's service, bred from the royal stud, saying that the king, saying that the king allowed the Jews who were in every city to gather and defend their lives, to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate any armed force of any people or province that might attack them, children and women included, and to plunder their goods." On one day throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, a copy of what was written was to be issued as a decree in every province, being publicly displayed to all peoples. And the Jews were to be ready on that day to take vengeance on their enemies. So the couriers mounted on their swift horses that were used in the king's service rode out hurriedly, urged by the king's command, and the decree was issued in Susa, the citadel. And so what we see is Esther's compassion led to a proclamation, a reversal of an earlier proclamation. Now, there's some interesting details given to us in this proclamation. The proclamation went throughout all of the known world. It was sent throughout the entire region to every language in their own language, to every people written in their, in, their own, uh, in their own language as well. So the proclamation went through the known world. The proclamation went with the authority of the king. It was sealed with his signet ring and sent by his couriers. And the proclamation went with urgency. The fastest, strongest of the king's horses, the swiftest riders were to take this proclamation to the ends of the kingdom. 
They were to make sure that every people group read and heard this proclamation in their own language. But Esther's compassion, which led to this proclamation, also, it produced two things. It produced great celebration, and it produced action. And so let's look at that first one, celebration, picking up again in verse 15, verses 15 through 17. We read this. Then Mordecai went out of the, from the presence of the king in royal robes of blue and white, with a great golden crown and a robe of fine linen and purple. And the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced. The Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. And in every province and in every city, wherever the king's command and his edict, edicts reached, there was gladness and joy among the Jews, a feast and a holiday. And many from the peoples of the country declared themselves Jews for fear of the, of the Jews had fallen on them. And so we see as a result of this proclamation, there came a celebration. The greatest reversal, Mordecai went from being dressed in sackcloth rags, weeping in front of the, the gate of the king that we saw just a few chapters ago. Now he's dressed in royal robes. He went from dust on his head, a sign of mourning, to a royal crown on his head. And he's been given authority to proclaim the new royal decree. The proclamation of this reversal led to a great celebration of God's people. Anxiety and fret that we saw just chapters ago turned to light and gladness. Sorrow and spite turned to joy and honor. God had done something great worth celebrating. But as we see in this account, the celebration was temporary. It was temporal, as was this act of salvation, just like the Exodus, just like other accounts throughout Scripture. It was not lasting. There was a work yet to be done. So the celebration was temporary, and it included action, as we see in Esther chapter 9. And so we'll read the first 19 verses of Esther chapter 9, uh, and then I'll conclude with some thoughts. Beginning in verse 1. Now in the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar, on the thirteenth day of the same, when the king's command and edict were about to be carried out, on the very day when the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain the mastery over them, the reverse occurred. The Jews gained mastery over those who hated them. The Jews gathered in their cities throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to lay hands on those who sought their harm. And no one could stand against them, for the fear of them had fallen on all peoples. All the officials of the provinces and the satraps and the governors and the royal agents also helped the Jews, for the fear of Mordecai had fallen on them. For Mordecai was great in the king's house, and his fame spread throughout all the provinces. For the man Mordecai grew more and more powerful. The Jews struck all their enemies with a sword, killing and destroying them, and did as they pleased with those who hated them. In Susa, the citadel itself, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men, and also killed Parshandatha, and Dolphin, and Aspatha, and Paratha, and Adalia, and, and Aradatha, and Parmashta, and Arasai, and Aradai, and Bazatha. 
the ten sons of Haman, the sons of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews. But they laid no hand on the plunder. Verse 11. That very day, the number of those killed in Susa the citadel was reported to the king. And the king said to Queen Esther, In Susa the citadel, the Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men, and also the 10 sons of Haman. I'm thankful that he didn't relist their names right there. (laughs) Also the 10 sons of Haman. What have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? Now what is your wish? It shall be granted you. And what further is your request? It shall be fulfilled. And Esther said, if it please the king, let the Jews who are in Susa be, be allowed tomorrow also to do according to this day's edict. Let the ten sons of Haman be hanged on the gallows. So the king commanded this to be done. A decree was issued in Susa, and the ten sons of Haman were hanged. The Jews who were in Susa gathered also on the 14th day of the month of Adar, And they killed 300 men in Susa, but they laid no hands on the plunder. Verse 16. Now the rest of the Jews who were in the king's provinces also gathered to defend their lives and got relief from their enemies and killed 75,000 of those who hated them. But they laid no hands on the plunder. This was on the 13th day of the month of Adar. And on the 14th day, they rested and made a day of feasting and gladness. But the Jews who were in Susa gathered on the 13th day and on the 14th day and rested on the 15th day, making that a day of feasting and gladness. Therefore, the Jews of the villages who lived in rural towns hold the 14th day of the month of Adar, a day for gladness and feasting, as a holiday and as a day on which they send gifts of food to one another." All right, we see in chapter 9, the first first, uh, 19 verses of chapter 9, we see this action that's been given. The the compassion of Esther led to a proclamation, which which, uh, produced celebration and action. The temporary salvation of the people of, of Israel led to a physical action. Note the Jews did not seek out the destruction of their enemies. They fought those who, Scripture says many times, hated them, who sought to destroy them. These are people opposed to God's way, God's design, and hate God's people. Those who meant evil against them. And as those who meant evil against the Jews organized, the Jews were allowed to organize and defend themselves. Notice that scripture tells us multiple times that they did not keep any plunder. This is warlike language, the hanging of Haman's ten sons. This is a warlike action. This is conquest language. It's almost as if in the story of Israel, they were completing what they were commanded to do in Joshua, what King Saul failed to do, and separating themselves completely from the God-haters, the Amalekites. In chapter 8, verses 17, we see a beautiful reversal. We see that many who were either indifferent toward the Jews or or apathetic toward their cause uh, changed their mind. They, They sided with God's people. From what they witnessed and what they heard, they chose to associate with the Jewish people. People recognized God's hand upon his people and desired to be counted as one of them. And there's a picture here of what was coming in the greater work of Christ. Now, before we discuss 
how this text applies to us today, I am inclined to ask, have you responded to the good news of Christ's salvation? This picture in Esther is just a picture of God's greater work of salvation in Christ. Have you responded to the good news that though you were an enemy of God, you are now counted as a friend if you are in Christ? Though you were dead in your sin, Christ redeemed you. You had nothing to offer him, no merit worthy of salvation. You who loved your sin, who sat in self-righteous rebellion against a holy God, you whose life unraveled because of brokenness and sin, you who broke every rule, you who need a Savior. Because of this, Christ came. See, the salvation that was given to the people of Israel here was temporary. The salvation that Christ offers is eternal. Jesus lived in perfect obedience to God's design. In other words, he lived the life that not even the best of us could live. And he died under the full wrath of God and the weight of sin. Though he was sinless, he died bearing the weight of sin so that those who believe and trust in him, though we may die, we die into eternal life, not condemnation, not under judgment, but under grace. Have you responded to this beautiful message of grace and mercy of Jesus dying in my place? This is something we need to remind ourselves often. If you have responded to the gift of grace in Christ, it is something we need to remind ourselves of regularly. The lengths that God went to bring salvation in your and my life. It is something we respond to not once, but continually, with thankfulness, with repentance, with assurance because of what Christ has done. This may be the first time you entered a church in a long time or ever, or you may have sat quietly in the pews and chairs your whole life. As G.K. Chesterton said, just going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in your garage makes you a car. We need to respond to the gospel. Every one of us is in need of God's salvation. Christ came to save sinners such as me. This message of salvation is lasting, as is the celebration that follows Though the celebration that we read in, these, in this chapter and a half was temporary, the celebration for those who look to Christ for eternal salvation never ends. It only gets better and better. I plead with you today, if you have not responded to this message of salvation, that you would. You would turn to Christ in repentance and faith. You would trust in his life and his death to earn your favor with God, that you would believe in Jesus today. So how do we apply this text to our situation and our lives? We're not living at this time. 
Let me rephrase that. How do we rightly apply this text to our life? Because there's many applications that we could draw from this. How do we rightly apply this text? God's God's salvation, as I said, was temporary for his people during Esther's day, but it points our attention forward to a lasting salvation, an eternal salvation that I just mentioned in Christ. Because of this work of Christ and when we respond to it, we too are called to be moved with compassion towards those who remain in darkness. We too are called to proclaim a good decree, the best decree, a celebration of God's work. And we too are called to move to action. And so let's, let's look at this in our context today, how this the thread of chapter 8 and the first part of chapters 9 is applicable to us in our situation. We see Esther's compassion over a temporary situation. We see that thread of compassion displayed by God in the Old Testament and New Testament. We read through the accounts of Christ's life and we see that many times, in fact, actually the Gospel of Matthew lists five different times, Jesus being moved with compassion to action. For people, we too are called, those who have placed their faith in Christ, who look to an eternal salvation, we see that this eternal salvation leads to Christ-like compassion. We are called to show compassion to the world in darkness around us. How best do we show compassion? With our proclamation. Similar to Esther, the proclamation that went forward as a result of her compassion, the compassion that Christ gives us in our lives as followers of him should compel us to proclaim the gospel. Followers of Jesus are messengers of the greatest message the world has ever and will ever hear. Given everything we need to engage in the mission of proclaiming the gospel, Now, success of this mission does not depend upon our ability, but it depends upon the king. Because it depends on the king, it will succeed. And we can count on that. And just as in Esther, as we proclaim the gospel, some will hear and be stirred, which is a work of God, and become part of God's family, others will resist. The job is to proclaim the message. The results are not up to the messengers. Did you hear that? Our job, if you profess to be a follower of Jesus, our job is to proclaim the message. The results are up to the Lord. I love what John Calvin says. John Calvin says that the blindness of unbelievers in no way detracts from the clarity of the gospel. The sun is no less bright because blind men do not perceive its light. Our message that we carry, if you are a follower of Jesus, is a message of hope and life, an eternal message, not one of temporal salvation, one of eternal salvation. And we are called out of compassion to do the most compassionate and loving thing that we can, declare the gospel of Jesus Christ to any and all that will listen. And as a result of this comes celebration and further action. Celebration, eternal salvation leads to lasting celebration. The Jews 
created a festival that they celebrated once a year to remind themselves of what God has done. Scripture tells us about a feast that's coming unlike any feast you've ever attended. It will be glorious. Not because of the food, though that will be good. It will be glorious because we will be in the presence of God Almighty. We will be celebrating his completed work. I think of the angst of Paul as he writes to the church and says, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He is looking forward to that day saying, oh, it's going to be a celebration unlike any you've ever experienced. When the king of the universe, the creator of all things, completes the work that he has begun in his people. It is not a temporary work. It is an eternal one. And there is an action that we engage in presently. Just as there was an action for God's people, there is an action for us because eternal salvation leads to spiritual action. Where temporal salvation for the Jews led to physical action, this eternal salvation given to us through Christ leads to spiritual action. So we do not take up arms against those who oppose the way of Christ as some have done in the past. I would put forward Paul's assertion to the church in one of the the, the spiritually darkest cities of the Roman Empire, Ephesus. Paul writes this to the church in Ephesus, Ephesus chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given By the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Paul writes to the church reminding them and us through the ages that we are not sitting on the sidelines. We are engaged in a battle. That battle is not against other people, but it is a true enemy that we are fighting. One that longs to see nothing more than the destruction and demise of all of God's people. So Paul says, hold true to the truth of God as declared in his word. Engage in the work of salvation. Celebrate God's work of salvation often. Understand that that though the enemy is defeated, the effects remain in this life, in this world. Therefore, prepare for the spiritual battle that we are presently in. Prepare for the attacks, the lies of the enemy by arming yourself with the truth of God's word, which is your greatest offense 
and greatest defense. My prayer for us, Restoration Road Church, is that we may be moved with compassion to proclaim the gospel with boldness. That we may realize that we need to know God intimately and accurately. We need to see him at work in our lives and we need to know him according to, the, to how he has described himself in his word. That is why we preach straight through books of the Bible here because it is God's word that directs us, not man's word. And so I plead with you, be in God's word regularly. Teach it to your children. Hide it in your heart. Let God's word lead, guide, protect, and defend you. May you be moved with compassion to proclaim the gospel, to celebrate what God has done, and armed with the truth of God's word, engage in the mission of the church for the glory of God. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, this morning, God, we are thankful for your word. We are thankful for the account of salvation given to us in Esther chapter 8 and 9. God, we are thankful that this account of salvation, as with the others in the Old Testament, ultimately point our direction toward the eternal salvation and the work of Christ. Help us not to be indifferent or apathetic toward those who are in darkness around us. Help us to show compassion, to have compassion. And God, I confess that is a work that you do in our lives. Help us to proclaim your gospel with boldness and urgency just as the de decree was proclaimed in Esther, Lord, let us feel the urgency of this message of salvation in Christ. God, let us engage in the mission of the church to celebrate the work that you have done, to boast about nothing more than Christ. God, let the banner of our lives be your work, your life, let us boast in you, in the cross. And let us prepare for the battle we are in by holding fast to the truth of your word, by submitting ourselves to the authority of your word over our lives. God, I confess, this is not a work we can do in our own strength. This is a work you do in our lives. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue to do the work you are doing in us. Not that we would walk away from here today better versions of ourselves, but God, that we would walk away from today just wanting to be closer to you, Jesus, and to be more like you. Draw us to your word, deepen our love for your church. Give us boldness to proclaim the gospel to the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.